welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Craig, we've been doing this uh, two or three years now. Has it been three? Oh my god, I don't know. It's been a long time. Well, however long it's been, um, we've gone this long without ever doing April Fool's Day. And we just could not let that stand this year. <laughs> and uh, every time it seems like like we get we get like in the middle of April or we get to May or June, and I'm thinking, oh crap, why did we miss April Fool's Day? I I just <laughs> I have an affection for this film, and so we're doing it this time. Yep. It's a 1986 production. Um, we recently talked about Frank Minusco Jr., who produced the Friday the 13th series, and uh, he produced this film as well. He was looking for a little bit of a departure from the slasher movies he was famous for. And this is in the same bailiwick, but uh, it it's slightly different than your average slasher. A little bit. I had seen this movie once before and was pleasantly surprised by it. This is one of those films that, I don't know about you, but the the cover art is iconic. Absolutely. You know, this was on every single rental shelf. <laughs> I think it had a better life. It did pretty well, actually, in the theater, but I think it had an even better life on the VHS shelves in the rental stores than it than it did uh, on its initial run. Yeah, I mean, that, that box art, <laughs> from the time I was a little kid, I remember seeing that box art. You've got kind of a uh, table of, I don't even know, I mean, because it's, it's in the background, that's not what you pay attention to. Like, there's a table of party goers in the background or whatever, but in the foreground there's a girl standing facing the party goers, and she's got a braid that's braided into a noose, and she's got this big knife behind her back, uh, and it's just... I don't know, you know, in the 80s when I was a kid, I just thought it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And for whatever reason, I don't think I ever saw this when I was a kid. I think it wasn't until I was an adult that I uh, actually sat down and watched this. But I always remember that box art. It's definitely iconic. Oh, same here. I'm surprised my buddies and I never picked this up because we passed by it all the time. I think we we're always interested in it, but uh, didn't see it until, oh shoot, probably 10 years ago. And I don't know, Craig, I just, I really liked this movie when I first saw it. It has a really cool twist in it, which we'll get to later. So spoiler alert, if you're interested in watching this movie, don't listen to this podcast first. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but then also... I don't know. It just has a charm. It has a charm that really gets to me. And and I wondered, as I was watching it the second time, if it would retain that charm, even though I knew where it was going. And I have to say, I think I liked it even more the second time around. I really did. I don't know if you like it as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... I don't know. I... Frankly, I don't even remember. Like, I remember that I had seen it, but I didn't really remember what my feelings were about it. And watching it again this time around, I liked it. And part of what's fun of it is that it's just a hodgepodge of these 80s actors that you're going to re recognize from something. Mm -hmm. Like, they, there's this whole group of... They're supposed to be uh, college-age friends, I think, you know, like either near graduates or, or recent graduates of college. And they all get together for this big hurrah, I guess. Many of them appeared in lots of other iconic 80s movies. Uh, and so you're going to recognize a lot of these faces. And that's fun. And, and there is a big twist uh, at the end, which really distinguishes it from a lot of the other slashers of the era. Because without the big twist, it would be 
you know, very similar to many of the other uh, slashers of the day. But with the twist, it's it's different and, and unique and, and kind of fun. I don't know that I like it as much as you do, but I, I get where you're coming from. It does have uh, kind of a distinct charm that the other slashers of the day didn't have. And, and for that, I appreciate it at least. Well, I think that the thing that distinguishes it the most for me is that, you know, we usually start these out, especially you, like, okay, so a bunch of assholes arrive at an island. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to say, like, these are cool people. I think what makes this compelling and what what probably what really saves it and keeps it, for me anyway, being compelling, is it's not a bunch of assholes. It's just a bunch of college-age people. Some of them have just graduated. At least they're the right age. We're not seeing older people playing teenagers. And uh, the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie at least is just hanging out with them. You've got a huge cast of characters, which makes it makes a little wieldy at the beginning, because you don't know who is who, and you can't remember all their names. True. Um, but when you say people that we recognize, maybe the most recognizable one that you'll just kind of jump out at you when you first watch it is Thomas Wilson, who plays Arch, who also played Biff in the Back to the Future movies. Yeah, yeah. And how many movies do we get to see with Biff in it? (laughs) (laughs) And he's kind of cute and charming in this movie, which is uh, a departure from (laughs) what we know him as. And and then there's also Amy Steele, who we just recently talked about. She was the final girl in uh, Friday the 13th 2. She plays Kit. And then uh, there's Deborah Foreman, who plays Muffy. She was in a couple of things. She's got kind of these icy gray eyes, which is mm. what I always remember her from. It, she's She had larger roles, but I always remember her as the sexy girl from Real Genius, which is one of my favorite movies uh, from the 80s. Oh. Um, and then there are a couple of other guys, too. The guy that played Rob, I think, uh, Ken Olant. Um, he was the lead in Just One of the Guys, another great 80s yes, movie. Like, it, like, like it's a terrible movie, but yeah. it's so great and so 80s. Oh, it used to come on cable all the time, and I, I used to watch it all the time. Deborah Goodrich is in this, too, and she was also in Just One of the Guys. Yep, yep. Yeah, you're right. None of these people... None of them, really. Maybe Thomas Wilson. He has a ton of credits to his name. He's been doing a lot of voice acting. He's been yeah. in a lot of video games and things. But aside from him, there aren't many of these people who went on to illustrious careers. But like right. you said, you recognize them. They did a few things here and there, did some television work. What I, my understanding is, and I don't know, I went and I read a bunch of interviews and things of the cast, is that they really had a good time making this. Well, yeah, I think I think I read that didn't they get together like before they shot and they, you know, they like to spend a weekend together or something like they really wanted to make it believable that these guys were all really friends. And that comes through, you know, when you say it's not just a bunch of assholes, this this does seem like a group of people that could really be friends that does come through. Like I, I really kind of got a big chill vibe from yeah. the first 30 minutes. And again, the big chill, one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Great movie. This pales in comparison, but you get kind of the similar vibe that these really are people who are having fun together and uh, who who could legitimately be friends. And so that's different. You, you don't see that so often. And I think the other aspect of it, too, as it was described, is that the movie takes place on an island. Uh, it's an island owned by Muffy. The Deborah mm-hmm. Foreman plays Muffy, and it's set up pretty early on from the beginning that she's a pretty rich 
uh, well-off person, at least her family's really well-off. Um, and we're gathering on the dock of a ferry. And apparently this island is isolated. There's only one ferry that goes to it, and it only goes there during the week. And then on the weekends, there's no ferry access to it. So all these people are going to be getting on this ferry, going to this party that Muffy is hosting, and they're not going to have ferry access for the rest of the weekend. So it's again, it's, it's, it sets up that classic Agatha Christie mystery atmosphere where oh, <laughs> we're all locked in a mansion, isolated, and, and, and brought together at a house for a party. And there's like a billion of them. <laughs> one of the yeah, one of the characters even says that. I mean, there's stuff that goes on the dock that we'll need to talk about, but when they actually get there, it's this big, you know, beautiful I don't want to say mansion, but like, you know, a very wealthy large house. <laughs> home. Yeah. yeah, large house on on this uh island. They're looking around and one of the characters, I think it's Rob, I don't know, opens these big sliding doors and it's this big dining room and the whole table is set and the place settings are, you know, set up. Oh, muffers! Our very own place settings with our very own place cards and here's her little dolly. This is like an Agatha Christie. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Nan. Yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> it well is on just the nose. like Agatha Christie. <laughs> <laughs> Very pointed. And it does, the whole movie plays out like that. I mean, it plays out just like an Agatha Christie novel. Like, was it uh, Ten Little Indians or, or yeah. something like that, I think, was the Agatha Christie novel. And it plays out very much it's, like that. It's practically the same plot in many ways. Yeah. And apparently, they stayed on this island together and they shot it there. I mean, it's really an island. And they actually shot it in a house on this island. Instead of, you know, normally you'd be in L.A., you'd be shooting on stages or on the set. But everybody would go home or go to their hotels or whatever at night. Well, these guys hung out together even in the evenings. That added to that sense of camaraderie and stuff on the crew. So anyway, um, I thought it was interesting how it started with what almost like every found footage movie starts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't go any further with it, but there's a VH, you know, one of them, Chaz, he has a video recorder and he is videotaping Nikki. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us something hey, about yourself? Oh, all right. Something about myself. Yeah. Well, um... I want to work with handicapped children. Um, my parents are my best friends. Oh, and I, I start convent school next semester. And I f*** on the first day. <laughs> April Fool. And others come and join them. You know, Arch comes and join them. Kit, there's a guy named Kit. There's Skip, or a gal named Kit. That's Amy Steele. Yeah. Skip, Rob, Buck. <laughs> Harvey, Claire, all these people you find out don't really know each other. They all go to the same college, I think, and they're some of them know each other, but yeah, most of them know each other, but some of them are new. Like Buck was new, and and, Na and Nan is new, um, mm. and I don't remember how they explained Buck's involvement there, but Nan, um, Muffy met in her. Like like a drama class, like a costuming That's class, right. uh, I think. Which 
<laughs> it, it should be should be a clue, but ultimately doesn't end up being. Like, it yeah. kind of feels like it kind of feels like a lost opportunity. Like, oh well, you could have used that, but okay, whatever. Yeah. Well, she makes mention. She talks about Buffy, and and the one thing she knows is she's such a great actress. And 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 if you know what's coming later, you know that that's a subtle hint. I think that the dialogue here is really quite good uh, throughout the whole movie. I think it's believable banter that college age people have they're all really easy going with each other and they're pretty fast and loose and free for me anyway right from the beginning just these first 10 minutes i just there's not like oh this guy's the dick this guy is the the cool man this you know there's none of that it's just a bunch of pretty normal fun people (laughs) does that make sense (laughs) no it does it does and i agree i mean you know there's silly stuff going like you know they're playing pranks on one another and they're joking around because it's around april fool's day there's you know some flirting going on between the guys and the girls and it's pretty overt and over the top but that almost even kind of adds to the concept that they know each other and they're comfortable with each other so they can kind of get away with kind of like this (laughs) almost aggressive sexual humor um Kit and Rob are a couple, and it's uh, Nikki and Chaz, right? Yes. Also a couple. So Nikki Nikki is a little, I won't say slutty, but she's just a little more on that edge kind of girl. Chaz is the closest to the cool guy uh, that you're going to get. Spiky hair, sunglasses, mm, right? Kind of aggressive and whatnot, and, and, and always, you know, joking around. And they get on this ferry, and there's a ferry man and everything, kind of an old grizzled ferry man guy. Uh, and he takes them over, and they're goofing off on this ferry. And I think it's Arch and Skip, Skip, who are playing around, and they're playing some game I didn't quite understand. I think they were just chucking a, a switchblade or a knife. Well, the, yeah, like they were throwing a knife in the ground. They said the game was named Stretch, I think, and so like I think that they like throw a, a knife and it sticks in the ground, and they like they have to reach for it, and like whoever can stretch the farthest and reach for it without falling over wins. Oh, okay. But but then it gets ugly. <laughs> <laughs> they start arguing and causing a big scene, and Arch's got the knife, and he finally he tosses it over to Skip, who and he tosses it quite carelessly and quite forcefully, and it goes right into Skip's stomach. And it's pretty shocking, and Skip falls backwards and falls into the water, and everybody's panicking. But it turns out it's a prank. April Fool's. April Fool's, <laughs> yeah, and there's going to be a lot of this coming up. Right. As they're uh, pulling the ferry into the dock, one of the guys has jumped into the water. Buck. The ferryman calls to Buck and is like, hey, get out, you know, so that you can tie it up. And he's like, no, I can do it from the water. So all the kids are talking and whatnot. In the meantime, we keep cutting back to Buck, who's waiting next to the ferry. And uh, as the ferry is approaching, sidling up to the dock uh, and trying to grab the rope and toss it up. And he's having trouble tossing it, tossing it. And the ferry is getting closer. It's clear that it's going to smash him into the dock, which it does. And he screams and there's all this panic. And as he kind of surfaces in the water, this whole side of his face is messed up. It's like his whole eye has been taken out. Yeah, like he got squished between the dock post and the boat and it's it's gross and and they're all screaming and and they pull him out of the water and there's i guess is it a cop on the island who has a I boat yeah i'm not Co- sure i just kept right they keep calling him constable so that's constable what i just wrote down constable, constable potter, potter. <laughs> <laughs> tom played by tom heaton who i don't really know but apparently um he's been in quite a few things and uh he died in january 
of this oh, year. I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway, fun little but bit of trivia. That, it's it's kind of funny because it happened, and it's pretty gruesome. Like you know mm. the. I, I didn't write down who did the effects, but whoever did them was was pretty good. Because, you know, his his face is messed up and he's screaming and he's in pain. But like, they literally throw him in a boat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they throw him in this little speedboat, and then the constable takes off with them, presumably taking him back to get him medical attention. But he looks like he's in pretty bad shape, and then that kind of casts a shadow on uh, the weekend, at least momentarily. And especially for Skip, because Skip kind of feels like he was the one that started this prank that got the guy in the water, and so he, he feels bad. And so then he's kind of mopey and drinky for the <laughs> next half hour. <laughs> mopey and drinky. <laughs> now, one of them is actually uh, Muffy's cousin, right? Yeah. Is it Skip? I think it's Skip. Skip. Yeah, you're right. So Skip is actually reveals that he's Muffy's cousin um, early on. Anyway, they don't let that get them down for long. (laughs) Not long. Yeah, they get over it. Yeah, they get over it. They didn't know him very well anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't really matter. So as you said, they go into the house and they're probing around and they see the table and all that. And, uh, And then it becomes a nice little montage of... Friendship and uh, toasts around the table, and then it, you know, as they make the toast, it turns out they all have dribble glasses. Then they all kind of go off to their different rooms. This is so classic, you know, like yeah. So it's it's like Agatha Christie. It's like every haunted house movie you've seen. It's like Clue. All these mm-hmm. people just go off to their various rooms and get settled. And as they do, uh, they dis- they discover all these different pranks. There's a um, an exploding cigar on one of them that he finds eyes in a painting that look like they're moving left and right until they lift the painting off and it's one of those um, Felix the cat clocks behind it that's right. going left and right there's a water tap that one of the girls turns on in her bathroom that sprays at her a collapsing chair and, and weird stuff with light switches but then there's some kind of disturbing pranks as well uh, Arch opens up his medicine cabinet and there's drug paraphernalia in there and Nan, here as she's coming out of the shower, hears a baby crying, and it seems to really bother her, and she goes to the wardrobe and opens it up, and there's a tape recorder inside that's playing a tape of a baby crying. Mm-hmm. And later on, we find out that this is pretty pointed. This is a reference we find out later to an abortion that apparently she had. That, that was kind of one of the things that bothered me about <laughs> these gags is because mm. like it seemed kind of pointed and like it was a big deal and then it was just kind of a throwaway like oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> by the end yeah I know like lighten up I didn't know you would be so upset about your abortion <laughs> <laughs> And some other things that I didn't even necessarily understand, like Harvey finds all of these uh, articles in, like, his dresser drawers and behind cabinet doors about car accidents. And, like, it's never really even explained what's going on there. And and Nikki finds, like, bondage sex gear in her room. Um, But it is. I mean, it's so Agatha Christie. It's so, like, how are these little things tied to each individual (laughs) character? Like, what is their backstory? Yeah. But it, but at the same time, it's fun, and like, and it it is fun, and and that's the fun thing about the first half hour is that it really, 
seems like it's all in good fun. Like at when they're having the dinner party, Arch Archie sits in his chair, and it's a really cool chair that has trick legs that like he flips over in, and like like you mentioned, Muffy gives them all champagne and they drink, and it's dribble glasses. And so like initially, it's just all in good fun. It's good times. It's pranks. It's April Fool stuff. And like you're really kind of proud of Muffy for like setting all this <laughs> stuff up. Like good for you. You are a really good April Fool's Day host. And we had seen her, again, I, I mentioned it just because I feel like the first time I saw it, I didn't really pay much attention. But watching it again, um, like when you very, very first see Muffy, even before anybody arrives, she's setting stuff up and her maid's like, can I help you? And she's like, no, 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 I just got to get everything set up. And like she's messing with mannequins in the basement and stuff. And like there's all these little things that if you know what's going on, you can kind of piece together, you know, ah, I see what she's doing. But so then when things kind of start to take a turn for the more dangerous, then it's a little bit more surprising. And it gives the characters motivation to question, well, you know, is it's it's probably just a prank, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably, you know, it's probably nothing. Don't worry about it, which is, is kind of believable. And us too, because we know we're watching a movie called April Fool's Day. Right. It's worth pointing out, too, since you mentioned it, that scene with Muffy uh, in the basement, at one point she picks up a jack-in-the-box, and she has this sort of flashback moment. And this is while the credits are rolling to, I guess, her childhood, where this jack-in-the-box had some significance to her. And so we get this really dreamy sequence where she's alternately flashing back to that and turning the, the knob on the music on the jack-in-the-box. That comes into play later, which is why we had to mention it. Well, and again, but even that scene is kind of weird, and I'm not really sure what it's meant to signify because as she's a kid, she you know turns this jack in the box, and then when it pops out, it's like this little monster. Like yeah. it's not like a it's not like a fun, cute jack in the box. It's like. <laughs> The alien from Alien <laughs> pops out of it or something, but yeah. whatever. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It almost is just to tie to the end, or or, or maybe just to set up that she has kind of a twisted yeah. sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I took it. Then there's just a series of things that happen. You know, they're out playing um, soccer in the front yard and hanging out and Nan's reading and blah, blah, blah. She sees Molly go into the shed and, and that seems a little mysterious and Muffy. Muffy, sorry. You're, you're really good with names. Oh my God. This is me and the names. And this is like 10 people. It's almost impossible. Oh, there's to... so many. It's really hard. And, and I don't remember care who's who and how they're related. You know, it just kind of. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Skip goes into the shed for something. There's a big shed on the grounds. Boathouse. Yeah. Boathouse. Yeah. And, and he steps inside and he's looking around and then somebody grabs him from behind and pulls him into the shadows. And, and only then. not before there's a jump scare with a cat. And the only reason oh, yeah. that I bring that up is because you said that the guy that produced this also produced uh, Friday. the Friday the 13th movies. And I guess there are a couple of nods to Friday the 13th Part 2, which Amy Steele was in, and she's in this movie too. And in the beginning of Friday the 13th Part 2, there's a cat jump scare. So there's the cat <laughs> jump scare here. He's attacked. But... As will become a trend, you know, we kind of get a shot of them, you know, with a look of terror on their face, and then we kind of see them attacked is the only word I can think of, but then it cuts away. We don't actually see what happens to them. We just see them kind of get attacked, and then ultimately, we end up seeing 
the aftermath. Um, which is kind of cool, and kind of cool for a, a slasher movie, too, that there's really not a whole lot of overt violence. You just no. see kind of the beginning of the attack and then the aftermath, which um, is a little bit different, but at the same time, I kind of appreciate it. And I read that because that was the case... This movie got a lot more late-night TV time than a lot of the other slasher movies of the day because they didn't have to edit it so much. There's just really not a lot of blood and gore, and that's part of the reason why it became, you know, kind of such a late-night popular movie. Did you ever catch us on TV? No, I didn't, but I read that, so yeah. I, and, and it, was, it, it was on the internet, so <laughs> it must be true. No. I know what you mean. It's just like this is perfect USA up all night fair, and to, yeah, not yeah. to for me not to caught it on there to catch it on there was just you know this is mind blowing. So anyway, yeah, and then later on, um, I I don't think I'm skipping over too much here. Kit and Rob end up going into the shed, right, to make out, and as they're laying down, um, they. Kit, Kit kind of turns her head to the side, and she can see through the floorboards to the water below. And who should float by underneath but um, Skip's dead body, Skip's pale, gaunt body sliding under, which obviously freaks them out. They run outside and uh, try to look for it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not there. Um, and uh, that's the first thing that really kind of freaks everybody out. You know, Skip has been missing. They've been commenting on it, and then these two think they've seen his body. Um, at this point, I think Nan confronts Mo- Muffy, <laughs> Muffy about the baby tape. Mm-hmm. And Hal overhears it now. And something else that I feel like we need to mention is that in the beginning, Muffy is this great hostess. Mm. They almost overdid it with her look, I think. But I think that they were doing that on purpose to try to have a clear distinction later on because mm. she's very waspy in the beginning. Like <laughs> if you think about a movie from the '80s where they're depicting rich. 80s like business people in Mm. New York like that's what she looks like like shoulder pads and like you know this very fancy outfit and her hair is all perfect and quaffed and Mm -hmm. um, she just acts kind of waspy like she's seductive but very cool and you know very well spoken and then after the first night when really it's all just kind of fun and games they all get up in the morning and a few of them go downstairs and Muffy's in the kitchen and like she's cooking breakfast but she's she looks very different like her hair is all frizzy and she's wearing like these mopey clothes and as soon as they come in she's like I'm not worried about those two Skip and Art they're probably playing some kind of stupid trick. So I just have down in my notes, Muffy is acting really weird. <laughs> like, what happened overnight that Muffy is all of a sudden so weird? Um, so, so then when this stuff starts going down, and like you said, Nan confronts her, and she's like, I didn't think that was funny. How did you know? Did you know that one of his... Or, like, did one of his fancy friends tell you or something? And they have this kind of terse exchange that Hal slash Harvey uh, overhears. But then that's kind of the last we see of it until Kit goes to get some water for something. And for some reason, the water's not working. And Muffy says, well, it's probably the water main. It breaks every once in a while. And they're all like oh, so we don't have any water for the rest of the weekend? And she's like, no, there's still the well. So Nikki and Harvey go to the well. Yeah, but but before this, 
Arch was had been poking around the woods. I think he had been looking for um, Skip, maybe? Skip, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, he <laughs> he gets another nod to Friday the 13th, part two. Yeah, yeah. He gets caught in one of those weird traps that I have no idea how they even work to the point where I think they're fake, you know? It's yeah, like right. loop rope of rope traps. on the ground that somehow if you step in it, like closes on your leg and lifts you in the air. <laughs> right. I, I don't think this is a real thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I loved that scene because it's so funny because he's walking around in the woods and like then you just see like there's this snake. <laughs> like he keeps walking back and forth in the same pattern like right same in front of this feet. huge snake. <laughs> right in front of this huge snake that's like like rearing up to bite him. And like he's just not – like he just doesn't even see it. <laughs> he walks in front of it like four times until he finally gets pulled up in the rope trap. And uh, then dangled in then, front of it. Then the snake is like pouncing at him. Like every time he swings back towards it, it's pouncing at him. Um, but then some mysterious boots show up in the frame and kick the snake away. And again, he gets that very scared look on his face, and then it cuts away. I read uh, an interview with Tom Tom Wilson online about this scene, and he mentioned that uh, he was really nervous about the snake. And the snake wrangler like comes up to him with this. He's like, "Oh, it's okay. It's you know, it's not going to bite you." And as soon as he opens the box with the snake in it, the snake jumps out and bites the snake wrangler's hand. <laughs> <laughs> apparently eventually what they did is they put like a pane of, they did the same thing with the cobra and in indiana jones where they put a pane of glass between the snake uh, and him so it was you know lunging at him but hitting the glass it, it was funny and and pretty scary because i'm scared of snakes oh yeah <laughs> and he's swinging back and forth and coming close to it and away from it and there's not a lot you can do when you're in that right. compromising position and then like you said harvey and nikki end up at this well to get water so it's it's kind of goofy at first. Like he uh, lowers the bucket down and starts to bring it up, and it breaks. And he's like, "Oh, the rope was rotten, whatever." And it's so stupid. I don't even know how it happens, but somehow she ends up dry- like. He's like, look down there and see if you can see it. So, like, she looks down there with her flashlight, and then somehow she drops her flashlight down there. <laughs> Just tosses and it. In. They're, yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh no, what are we gonna do now?" Well, look, there are little rungs leading down the side. So? So you better get a move on. Are you crazy? I don't exactly relish the idea of spending the entire rest of the weekend without water. Well, I'm not going down there. So she starts crawling down there, and she ends up falling in, like one of the rungs breaks or something, and she falls in. And he's thinking about how to get her out, but then all of a sudden, Archie's head floats up in the water. And she's freaking out and, like, thrashing around, which then also causes Nan's body to to rise to the top. So she's down there with those bodies. Um, and I thought for sure that Hal was going to – well, he, he crawls down in there to, to get her out. And I thought for sure somebody was just going to close up the well and just leave them yeah. down there. Yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, actually, in fact, they both get out and they you know go back up to the house. And at this point, they've seen enough dead bodies to know that they're in trouble. So yep. they call the constable. <laughs> <laughs> call the constable on the phone. <laughs> Which is – which is another one of my favorite. Like at first they can't get through, but then eventually they do. Yeah. And my favorite, I say that all the time. My favorite part. My favorite part of the movie is that 
the the guy gets off the phone with the constable. It's Rob who's on the phone with him. And it's funny because when he's on the phone, he's like, wait a minute, what? Muffy? Oh, okay. And then he hangs up and then he doesn't say anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't get that either. (laughs) Um, But anyway, he's like, the constable says we should stay together, just wait, and he's going to come and he'll fire off a flare, um, and then we should all go down to the dock together. Since the constable said we should all stay together, let's all split up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what they do. They all split up to go, like, secure the house. Do nothing. Yeah, they're going up and they're they're locking windows and things like that. And um, Kit ends up in the study, and she sees a picture on the desk and it's a picture of two little girls you know and this this is the point where if as long as you're not really stupid you know watching this movie you're starting to put you're starting to go down the road that the filmmakers want you to go down there's something odd about muffy in case you hadn't noticed and she interrupts her uh says some creepy stuff (laughs) um we find out that harvey brought a gun so that adds some intrigue all of these these are just such classic you know, tropes, really. Yeah. And, and and there's a moment when everybody is converged except for Muffy, and they start talking about how weird she's acting and how she's wearing different clothes. And, like, Nikki's like, did you see her shoes? They're, like, nurse's shoes. What's up with that? And they're like, she's acting really weird. And I don't know. One of them says something pretty not nice about her. Kit's like, do you understand what you're saying? You're saying that one of our best friends has brought us here to... And then Muffy just kind of appears out of the darkness like she's heard all of this. She's like, I'm going upstairs. And they're like, we're supposed to stay together. And she's like, this is my home. I'm going to my room. And then they're all like, okay, well, that sounds like a good idea. Let's just all go to our rooms. Do it. <laughs> and and so, they, so they all go up to their rooms. And I feel like Muffy follows Kit or somehow they end up together. I just came in to make sure that everything was secure. I had to lock those windows. Good idea. Sometimes, with the tides, it could take somebody all night to get here from the mainland. And even then, sometimes, they don't make it. Which I thought was hilarious. Because when they made the trip from the dock to the island in the beginning of the movie, it took less than five minutes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like like you could almost toss a stone from the dock. (laughs) <laughs> the island, like you can right. see, it, it seems that close. <laughs> <laughs> like in that beginning scene, Nikki like takes off her clothes to sunbathe and she has them off for like one minute before she has to put them back on <laughs> because they're there. Like, but apparently at night, the tides are crazy. <laughs> But meanwhile, like, Kit and Rob at some point are looking out, like, over the bay, like, watching for the for the boat and like it's totally calm like nothing is different at all oh man anyway nikki and Chaz, they argue uh and uh you know they're goofing off in the bedroom but but they have a fight he is playing with her and he's putting on the different masks or whatever that they've found the snm like 
leather mask or whatnot that that he has uh, and uh, he puts it on and flops down on the bed and she leaves and then she comes back and he's just laying there motionless but he has his hands like folded over his crotch <laughs> yeah and she's like oh cut it out and she's sitting next to him and this is a pretty creepy cool scene i thought um because we know what's going on like he's completely sure. motionless but she's putting her shoes on and it takes her a while to realize that he's not moving and then she's like come on what's going on and uh she pushes his hands away and i guess is his dick missing yeah i think that's what it's supposed to be it looks weird it almost looks like there's like a big burn hole like in his yeah. crotchal area but i think it's supposed to be that his dick is cut off okay <laughs> <laughs> And she freaks out, and and then the closet door opens, and again, it's another one of those moments where we see from the the killer's perspective towards her, and her eyes get wide, and she looks at the closet, and then it cuts away. And then, uh, in the meantime, Kit and Rob are perusing around, and Rob, (laughs) Rob, this is kind of stupid, Rob's like, I'm going to go to the attic, And and Kit's like, why? And he says, so I can get a better view of when the constable comes. Okay, so he decides to go to the attic, and she follows him. And when they're up in the attic, they find these dolls set up. Like, one sitting in a bowl, just like, uh, one, and then, and then there's a, just a head floating in there. I guess it's, like, supposed to be the, you know, representing the well or whatever. I don't know. And they're, like, look at it, and they're like, well, this is weird. And we find out that the constable robbed warm, er, <laughs> God, excuse me, the constable warned rob about muffy he said you know don't don't trust her and is it at that point that they find a let no it's later it's later that they find a letter but we know that that the constable said don't trust her for whatever reason and i was kind of confused about those dolls I, i thought that it was supposed to be all of them but then the last ones that she picked up looked like a couple and they were all bloody in bed Mm-hmm. Was that supposed to be Chaz and uh, Nikki? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think it was just a plot device, and it made sense. And again, very Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. you know, just these kind of clues. But yeah, so anyway, they're still looking around. And they they end up going back downstairs, and they find the bodies in the bed, or they see blood all over the bed, I guess. And uh, then they stumble around. It's it's that classic, oh my gosh, here's some bodies. And then they run to Muffy's room and they can't get in. And when they open the door, there's, uh, what's his name, hanging in there? Harvey. Harvey. Uh, and so then they're like, we got to get out of here. And they run out to the boat. And it's when they get into the boat uh, that they find this letter. Right. It, it, it's just so funny, you know, they get there. I guess there's no key, so they can't quite go. But in their panic, then they stop to, to read this letter. Pursuant to our previous communications, please be advised that the patient under discussion has still not been found and returned to custody. Is now believed to be attempting to return to her home in your jurisdiction. If encountered, exercise extreme caution and notify us immediately. Miss St. John been a patient here for three years and is still considered incorrigibly unstable and extremely dangerous. Miss St. John? Muffy hasn't been in an institution for three years. She's been at Vassar. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. It so is. funny. <laughs> there are a lot of great lines in this movie, I have to say. So many funny little things. <laughs> but I mean, at this point, my gosh, you know, you gotta, you've got to be putting two and two together that Muffy has a twin, right? Right. And uh, they look up at the house and they're like, the doors are all closed. 
uh, but they look down at the at the window and they say, ah, oh, the wind. But the you know the window to the basement is propped open. That's how we're going to get inside. And if you've been paying attention uh, earlier on, you would have seen that one of the first things Muffy was doing when she was downstairs was propping open the window to the basement. Right. So uh, anyway, she they they crawl into the basement and they have flashlights and they see a blood trail on the floor. And it, and it leads up to an area where on the wall there is a height chart and there's on one side it says Muffy and on the other side it says Buffy. And they're both the same height all the way up. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's funny. It's like we're the, we're, the, we're the writers sitting around thinking, hmm, now what visual representation of identical twins could we present? <laughs> I know a height chart. So, and and then they look up in that painting that was in their room that had the eye holes and is there, but there are eyes behind it. And they go up and they pull it off the wall. And sure enough, behind it is the head of Muffy, which falls, falls down into her hands and she screams and drops it. And at that point, they get pursued by Muffy. Or Buffy. Or Buffy. Yeah. Who is it, right? Must be Buffy. (laughs) So, yep, they run around and they run into the kitchen. And this is a really good scene. I remember, especially when I first saw it, this this scene really freaked me out. Buffy is at the door, pounding on it, and she's inserting her knife in the crack, and it's jabbing through. In the meantime, they're in the kitchen. They're they're going through all of the the thing. They're looking for knives or anything they can use, and they can't. And Buffy's like, Buffy's like right there. And Rob ends up locking himself in the pantry accidentally right yeah so he's pounding on the door hey uh let me out kit let me out but but buffy is coming through the the kitchen door and so muffy kit runs into the the dining room and this is i mean it's a pretty standoffish scene she's got this big nasty looking knife and she's coming at her and she just looks crazy yeah, she's scary. Her hair's all frizzy, oh. and like she's got the crazy eyes. And this knife is huge. It's like a twelve-inch blade knife. Um, it curls and, like, up a little she's bit. She's just kind of menacing. Like they, like they, they kind of dance around the table for a while, and then Buffy gets up on the table, and like. I don't know really why Kit doesn't just run, run. somewhere. <laughs> I, she's got her kind of backed up against that sliding door. I don't think there's anywhere else in the room for her to run, to be fair. I think that sliding doors that lead into there were the only other exit, unless she tried to leap out a window or something. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she does. It's that classic slowly backing away from the killer, which you should never do. You know, you right. should really just run. She swings open you know pulls open the doors to come through the other side and it's just so shocking it's it's it so surreal she comes into the room and there are, is everybody else like everybody who was dead just chilling just chilling standing around <laughs> silently like quietly chatting with each other nikki is there reading her cosmo uh, they have drinks and it's just so weird it's it, it, is. it just jolts you yeah and of course kit stops at her tracks from behind, Muffy just stands there and lowers her knife, and it turns out the whole thing was a big joke. It was all a big joke. And, it, oh, God, it's so funny. And then I also love that... Now, okay, the first time that I watched this, for some reason, going into it this time, I had it in my mind 
that everybody was in on it except for Kit. Like, mm. I had it in my mind that everybody was just playing this big joke on Kit. And that's not true. No, no. I, I like in this moment when we know that it's a joke and it's dawning on Kit that it's a joke, even though she's pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. Um, poor Rob is still like back Locked. there in the pantry <laughs> and, and he's he's pounding on the door like, Kit, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> And then Buck, from the very beginning of the movie, the guy that got smashed by the boat, Buck, like, grabs him, and he starts screaming like a girl, like, <laughs> like he's terrified. And Buck, like, peels what turns out to be a prosthetic, that injury, off of his face and slaps it on his face and then pushes him through the door. And he so just keeps all in there. screaming and running through the house with this prosthetic on his face like <laughs> it still hasn't dawned on him what's going on. <laughs> it's really funny. It As it turns out, okay, so Muffy then explains this and it's a little bit like, all right, let's take a minute to explain the whole plot of the movie, but <laughs> it goes by pretty quick, so it's not that big a deal. It's a script for a weekend special. It's going to help me keep the house. Look, next month I get the house as part of my mother's inheritance. It's true. But only if I could show my father that it could carry itself with uh, taxes and expenses and all. Otherwise he's going to sell it out of the family. So I decided to turn it into a country inn. But not just a stuffy old run-of-the-mill country inn. One that specializes in offering a once-in-a-lifetime whodunit weekend. So this was her test run for that. And nobody who was there knew what was going on until they got killed, except for Buck. Buck is her friend who just happens to be clearly an amazing makeup artist. (laughs) And the boatman was in on it. He was just playing the creepy old boat guy. He is the ferryman, but Skip, who they told everybody, or who she told everybody was her cousin, is actually her brother. Um, And he even wasn't in on it fully. He kind of knew what was going on, but wasn't in on it 100%. So, like, this whole thing was a plan. It was a setup. It's funny, Kit and Rob are pissed about it for a second, but then they get over it, and then they have a huge party. <laughs> <laughs> They're spraying champagne all over each other, and everybody's just getting wasted. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really fun scene, and like the, the song Mama Told Me Not to Come is playing in the background, and like <laughs> they're, they're like pouring bottles of champagne over <laughs> Muffy's head, and like they're all having a great time. It's, it, and they're all playing with the prosthetics, and they're like making out with the prosthetics, and like giving Drake, like shoving the champagne bottles into the prosthetic Muffy's head. Like it's, it's really a, f- it lasts probably all of a minute, but it's really a fun, <laughs> it's a oh, yeah. fun scene. <laughs> it is. I read about this scene too. You know, the, the cinematographer on this movie, which by the way, it looks beautiful. Like the movie, it does look great. Is, yeah. is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Um, the cinematographer on this movie is uh, Charles Minsky. And he is a very, uh, very accomplished cinematographer. This was actually his only his second movie. Uh, but the director said that the stuff that he was saying on the set and the suggestions he was making to the lighting guys and, and all this stuff was stuff that this director then used f- forever after that. And he said on subsequent movies, he would make similar suggestions 
you know, based on what he learned from this guy from this movie to other people, and they'd be like, "Wowed!" I'm like, "Oh, wow, thanks. That's really, really good." But hmm. he went on. He went on to do Pretty Woman, Dutch. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Just uh, a lot of these movies um, up to now, like Almost Famous, Yumi and Dupree. Oh my God, Almost Famous is an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Anyway, he was say, he was saying during this scene, one of his ideas was we got to go handheld and just get in the middle of this party, which is why it it, it kind of has that tone, that wild raucous tone, because the camera's just in there and it's suddenly handheld sure. and it's spinning around and there. And he said that the crew was a little nervous about it because they're just spraying the champagne everywhere, and if the camera got wet, like they'd have to send it back to the rental house and everything and right. they just have to pay for it but they were willing to do it to get the shot and it and it worked out really well it did it's fun and and i i wasn't even really paying attention but as soon as you said handheld yeah i mean obviously it is and and that kind of makes you as the viewer feel like you're there you know mm-hmm. like it it seems like a you know you're part of the party it was it's fun. It was a fun scene. Yeah. Um, and then, so it leads then into the final scene where a very drunk Muffy um, goes up to her room and there's like a noose hanging on the other side of her door and she just pulls it down like it's clearly just a gag or whatever. But then she sees a gift on her bed and she opens it up and it's the Jack in the Box again. And she spins it right up until it should pop out. And then she puts it aside. But then apparently she decides she wants it to pop out. So she grabs it again and and spins it. And I don't remember if it pops out or not. But the point is, like, right when it should, Nan appears behind her and grabs her hair and pulls it back and slits her throat. And there's all this blood, and Muffy is freaking out. Um, But then Muffy realizes that she's not actually injured, and uh, Nan comes, like, around her shoulder and shows her that it's a fake knife and fake blood, and ha-ha, it's a joke. The end, end of movie. Which is, you know, kind of silly, but in keeping with the rest of the movie. What I didn't know until today, when I was reading about the movie is that there was an entire there was a whole other act yeah. filmed like 20 minutes long right for the end of this movie that they ended up not using and i don't know i like i don't even know it can you find it someplace i don't like, think they said most of it's lost and no you can't really find it i mean the point of it i think was that then they all all the people left the island back on the ferry but then they secretly looped back around and played a a final trick on molly and i think there are a couple different versions of that (laughs) buffy thank you god (sighs) names (laughs) i like that in real life too (laughs) tell me your name i'll forget it in two seconds uh but yeah, and, and then there are a couple different versions of that, too. There's a version of that where it's kind of benign, kind of like this ending, where they play this joke on her and it's all ha-ha funny. And then there's even another weird, apparently, version that was the original version, where Skip ends up getting killed in this prank. See, and I thought that I read that Skip kind of, like, lost it and then yeah. killed Muffy, right? Oh, kill, or something like her. that? I was thinking he lost it, and they and in the scuffle he got killed. I don't know, but yeah, what a weird way to end it. It would just be the thing about the the ending that is there that I really like. That I really like is that Nan is the one is the only one here who's really been pained. 
you know, because yeah, Muffy, and Muffy even like laughs it off, which is almost <laughs> yeah. like a twist in her back too. And she's like talking to the group at the end. She's like, "I'm really sorry about all the jokes I played. Clearly, some of them just went a little too far." And Nan just kind of gives her a look. But anyway, <laughs> right, and that's it. Like, oops, sorry, God. <laughs> If anyone so would kind of have a reason to come back and actually kill her at the end, not that that's an excuse, but you know, in the in the in the realm of the movie, it would be Nan, and so right makes sense. But then it's nice because it's still in keeping with the tone of the film. That aha, yeah. it's a final joke. But we are kind of on edge because we still don't really know how it's going to turn out. And sure. there's always that moment at the again at the end of a slasher film, and I think this is really where the screenwriter does a great job because they're they're alternately they're parodying slasher films in a way, they're parodying Agatha Christie kind of movies in a way, and with this ending tacked on, you're really expecting in many ways the same thing as like at the end of Friday the Thirteenth, where there's going to be some actual kill or something that 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 sets it up for a sequel. You know, or mm-hmm. tells you, oh no, the things aren't as good as you think they were, and then ends it. It doesn't end up being that. But I don't know about you. I was on the edge of my seat waiting for something terrible to happen to her at the end. Sure. And, and up oh, until sure. she reveals that knife is a fake, you know, you got me hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> well, and you're you're kind of waiting for it because in a way she kind of deserves it. <laughs> that was a really mean trick. Like, like, it, it, you know, and she explain when she's explaining that it's going to be this murder mystery thing, they're, they're like, are you crazy? This is dangerous. And she's like, well, obviously when I do it in real life, the stakes won't be as high and the people will know. <laughs> well, like, yeah. I mean, that's when you go to one of those murder mystery things, you know what you're getting into. You don't just trick your friends into thinking that people are dead like that's mean <laughs> like you are a horrible person well yeah and, and not only that but she's putting people in actual peril right and she brush she brushes that off too because somebody says that like you know we were in actual danger and she's like no no i made sure that you weren't except for i didn't know that harvey had a gun mm-hmm. and except for i didn't know that snake would be there i mean like i didn't mean for anybody to get hurt oh well in that case fine <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a movie. It's all so improbable anyway. I mean, if you look back at it, one of the first things I was thinking about this time around, because I knew, you know, the, the ending, yeah. was how in the hell does Buck in the water dive underneath and put return, on an amazing put on, prosthetic. Put on some prosthetic and come back up again in the course of like three seconds. And this is a prosthetic the guy's got to peel off his face. There's right. there's no way. And and all of these other things are just, you know, again, it's one of these deals where, really? So you happen to um, bet on the fact that Arch was going to walk in that exact same spot in the woods where you'd set a mm-hmm. trap? Or um, that Harvey and... Nikki were going to have to descend into the well because she tossed her flashlight in or they weren't just going to give up getting water. You know, uh, so many of these things are just um, convenient. Or or that the one sure. dude's going to lock himself in the pantry, you know. That, right. Uh, but, you know, it's a movie, so. One thing that I will say for it, though, is that the uh, effects, the prosthetics and the makeup are actually really good. And yeah. so, you know, okay, so there's, like, bodies in the water in the well and then... 
at some point, Kit finds um, Muffy's head or whatever. And yeah, when you're looking at it in the movie, you can tell that it's a prosthetic. You totally forgive it because it's a movie. It's the 80s, whatever. But they're good enough that I can almost believe that if I were in those people's position, I might believe it. (laughs) Like if I was in that well, if I was in that well and that head and that body had come popping up, heck yes, I would have been freaking out and thinking that was real and trying to get the freak out of there. (laughs) So so that says something for the people who did the effects and makeup and prosthetics. I, I thought it was good. And, you know, overall, you know, again, I miss the days, Todd, when you and I lived in the same place and we mm. could sit together and, and drink a couple of beers and watch a movie and then talk about it right after. Um, because now I sit in my living room, sad <laughs> and alone. <laughs> you and me both, and buddy. Watch, <laughs> and, watch, and watch these movies on my computer. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's just not the same. You got to at least hook it up to the TV, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, But, like, I think that if you sit and watch this movie with some friends, it's a really fun movie. Mm. Um, And and I think that uh, people who enjoy slashers, people who enjoy horror... 80s movies whatever you know it's it's a fun movie it, it's it's worth giving a shot is, is it a great movie no is it better than a lot of the slashers that came out of the 80s oh yeah oh, way better yeah. than a lot of them um i enjoyed it and it's it's frankly it's been more fun talking about it with you than it was watching it but um <laughs> it was uh, i i liked it. it it's good it's it's worth a shot I don't know. You know, like for me even, and I think this harkens back. First of all, I totally agree with you. Would have been so much more fun to watch this in person with you. But there is also, you know, my wife and son are visiting the States right now. And so I'm here alone. (laughs) And I put this movie on the big screen. And I just, I had to pause it after the first five minutes because I was just getting this vibe back to my childhood where I would stay up late on a Saturday night, just me laying down on the sofa under a blanket, popping some popcorn or something and watching USA up all night. And this was like that movie, you know, this was that kind of movie. It just, it was fun. Um, I liked spending time with the characters. I thought it was beautifully filmed. It just the daylight scenes, everything just gives you this warm feeling. And there's just such a jokiness to it that really works. You know, the jokes yeah. aren't cheesy and cool. Some of them are, but most of them are just they're just clever and fun. You know, it's it's definitely a cut above. I think a lot of these comedies that you see um, that are more groaners from these parts, and it manages to touch on all these different elements and uh, make a pretty unique film. I mean, it didn't have to be this unique, um, this high concept, but it really works. And I'm actually surprised. I guess there's a remake, right? Somebody did a remake, or, or no, something. no, no. They 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 made another movie. I think it was in 2008. I don't quote me on that but i think it was in 2008 with the same title but it was not a remake of oh. this movie i don't think that i don't think that there has been a remake yeah i don't know i don't know if a remake's necessary really but uh, no i mean i don't know it's a fun premise so yeah. i mean if they were if they were going to do a remake you know kind of maybe keep some of the same elements but do something different with it uh but it, it, it's a really it's a clever idea and it holds up 
like as a movie, except for a couple of the outfits. Um, yeah, this could have been shot today. I mean, the fact sure. that nobody has cell phones is right. the only other thing. Um, but it, it, there's nothing dated really about it. I think fun movie. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this one, please share it with a friend. I'm sad to say that we do have some bad news for you, our loyal listeners. We have been going together for this long. But uh, quite frankly, as we might have alluded to here, as you could hear, we've, um, I don't know, we're just not quite the same when we can't get together anymore. Right. And so this will actually be our final episode. I'm sorry, guys. We feel bad. Yeah, it, it just we've been trying to make it work, but, uh, you know, life gets in the way. So... April Fools! Fooled <laughs> <laughs> you! <laughs> We're not going anywhere. You're not getting rid of us that easy. No way! <laughs> you kidding me? Next month we have a whole theme for you, and it's don't. <laughs> don't. Please uh, stay right where you're at. Please keep downloading our episodes. Please keep checking us out on Facebook. Please keep sharing us with your friends. We love having new listeners. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. (laughs) 